Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Hi, it's Josh. Hi, and it's Joe. And you're about to listen to another great episode of the movies that made me. Uh, just want to give you a heads up. Many of the movies, occasionally we'll talk about something that's pretty obscure and has never come out on video. Most of the movies we talk about on the show are available at MoviesUnlimited.com, which is the movie collector's website. Yeah, don't waste your time streaming or looking for your favorites on TV. You can own them. Physical media, babies. Yes, go to the TrailersFromHell.com website. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the website and you can buy your favorites from them or go right to MoviesUnlimited.com. Shipping is always free on orders over $50. Movies, movies, movies. Hey, this is Josh and we're just going to get right into it with the second part of our conversation with Bill Hader and the movies that made him make Barry. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Uh, you also brought up a movie that uh, nobody ever talks about, uh, ever, uh, Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. No one ever <laughs> talks about Taxi Driver. Do you want to talk about Taxi Driver? Yeah. Well, Taxi Driver, I'll just say with Barry, Taxi Driver is the first. I had the double mind blower one night where my dad, my dad would wake me up in the middle of the night sometimes and say, hey, you know, you want to watch this movie? You know, it's it's too, you know, your dad, your your mom won't let me will get mad at me, but it's one of my favorite movies. And my parents had me incredibly young they were in their early 20s my mom was 20 and my dad was 22 so it was you know he's in his late 20s being like come on let's watch you know early 30s come on watch this and it'd be you know wild bunch or whatever and then one of the nights was taxi driver and i just was like whoa and then two nights later was clockwork orange wait how old are you now what station was this yeah (laughs) 11 Uh, but he made me, he made me leave during all the, the rape stuff. (laughs) He was like, you can't watch this. But every time I hear the thieving magpie by Mozart, I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I can't tell you. (laughs) He goes, I cannot tell you. My dad was taking me to the theaters to see those movies when I was 11. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you will, you'd become a movie nerd or a psychopath or both. Or, yeah. But, uh, but I just went. It was hard to then sit with my friends and watch, you know, The Natural or something and being like, I've seen Clockwork Orange. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't get excited by this. Um, but, uh, but then, um, but Taxi Driver, yeah. And then I would watch it over and over again. And I, I've said this a couple of times, but Taxi Driver was the first time 
I saw something where it unlocked the what you could do in movies where, you know, he takes uh, Sybil Shepherd to the porno movie. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. That shot where he's he's on the phone with her and he's saying, hey, did you get my flowers? And you could tell she's turning oh, him down. Leaves. And the camera dollies off of yeah, him yeah, yeah. while he's still talking. And I was watching it going, this is so uncomfortable, you know, especially at 11, the idea of like, a girl be embarrassing yourself like that in front of a girl. It's just the, I mean, still it's, I think it's the hardest scene to watch in that movie outside of all the violence and everything is watching him take her to that porno movie. It's just terrible. It's pretty bad. And you're watching it and like, Oh God, I go, I can't watch this. And then that camera dollies off him. And I went, Oh, the movie can't watch this. It was like, <laughs> it's like the filmmaker just went, I don't want to, I don't want to watch this either. This. <laughs> I don't want to see this. Let's just go down here. And I was like, Oh, you can do that. You know? <laughs> And also when he shoots Kaitel, the idea of point of view that really when he walked, you know, suck on this, that famous thing, mm -hmm. he shoots Kaitel in any other movie, music, he's often, you know, whatever. But he shoots him, oh, oh, and then he just follows him and he sits back down. And now it's just, you, the point of view is you, you're someone on the stoop across the street right. and you just saw a guy shoot another guy. And now it's just you and the shooter and the shooter sat down and you guys are just <laughs> sitting there. And it, and it works on some. Yeah level yeah but um but no i i i really like that movie but it's a tough one like clockwork orange now too yeah man those are movies when i tell people i like them and oh and they'll go watch they'll try to watch them i try to watch that one you know i can't get I into get, it and i go I yeah i never get so whatever the reaction i mean i understand it's difficult but texture but I, I do get people having a very hard time with clockwork orange. oh yeah That's, yeah yeah no they just uh the ringer that site it's not just a me too movie either no no they well I, I, it was funny. The Ringer just did a article that was pretty good about the Clockwork Orange on Netflix and like, will people be able to understand uh, that it's a piece of art and that and understand what it's trying to say and not just react to it? And it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting article, but that is definitely one of the movies I like that I say I like that I'm, I'm constantly defending why I like it. You know, actually, people, Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah, people go get really angry. When they talk to you about that movie, and some of them, I, most of it, I just go, "All right, you know, that's that's your thing. I'm not going to tell you if you're right or wrong. I'm going to say here's how it affected me, right? You know, why I was moved by it, you know. But you know, I, I you know, I get it. Uh, yeah, I, I find um, my my wife's not the, the the hardcore freak that I am, but will you know take a chance on anything. And, and I'm very fortunate. I found that if I just set it up. I'm never going to show her Clockwork Orange. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of movies where I just go, you got to understand, it's 1972, and there's a lot of horrible, you know, completely oblivious misogyny in this film. Oh, yeah. That's what these idiots were. And she's like, okay. Yeah. And well, then once you sort of set that stage, it's. But know, I feel like Clockwork Orange is the misogyny, and it is kind of like born within like how bad the guy is and how bad the society is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, but that if you take that ability away from somebody, they're not human anymore yeah. you know and so that it's this really like we all have this ability to be an alex we just choose not to you know yeah oh, no, i don't you know, i don't think the, the films are but it's so hard to explain towards. that to someone after they watch the first 30 minutes of the movie and they're yeah. like why would i want to watch these guys gang rape a woman and i go no i don't like watching that stuff but as a story it's, it's, not, it's, fun. it's, it's not fun but not ever all movies have to be fun i mean it's like virgin spring you know or um, I, the other one is uh, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet's another one. When I, I oh, you guys got to check out Blue Velvet. And I've shown it to friends and they just go, no way, man. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, Isabella Rossellini beaten up walking down the street is terrible. Yeah. yeah, it's rough. It's very rough. Um, and none of that shit's in Barry. Well, no, but what's <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here and I want to go back to, to movies in a minute, but but it it keeps hitting me because one of the things I don't know. We're walking a, a line here because I don't want to get too explicit in talking about Barry because want anyone who's listening who hasn't seen yeah. it to see it. But you go. I remember that, that you walk this interesting tightrope in the first season because it's a very funny show. It's a it is generally listed when you look at it, it says Barry comedy mm-hmm. and it's very fucking funny. Um, but you also go to some really dark places and for the first half or so of the first season, you were playing an interesting game of teasing that it might go darker in a way that a lot of shows and a lot of movies do. And in a way that a lot of shows and a lot of movies always wimp out. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there for the, about the first half of the season going, all right, this is really good, but they're going to wimp out. And you go to a place. So I'll just say it's a scene in a car with a friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, and it's it's powerful as shit. It's grueling. And it's the moment when we are now being alerted that this show is going in. Yeah. And and at which point I just, you know, I, 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 I stopped being coy and let the show have its way with me. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just because you're going there. But But you go to those kind of dark places that some of these movies do. But you do it in a way and you couch it and you surround it with uh, um, comedy. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's entertaining. Yeah. But you still manage to go to that that darkness that um, something like Clockwork Orange goes to without ever, I don't want to say sugarcoating. It's not even doing that. But but there's nothing. Yeah. Cla- Clockwork no one watches Orange Clockwork weird. Orange for entertainment. Yeah. Well, Clockwork <laughs> Orange somehow weirdly gets away with some of it because it is almost the acting. It almost is like kabuki theater. Yeah. Like there's nothing realistic in those performances at all. It's so big. Like even the warden guy, you oh. know, who's like Hello little Alex or something. Yeah. Warden. Or oh the Black guy, yeah. Oh, yeah, Patrick or yeah, Pat, or, Patrick Mc- Patrick McGee. McGee. Patrick yeah. McGee, who is, who is never never the uh, most subtle of actors. Never yeah. subdued, yes. Yeah. Great actor. Do you remember but, him in uh, Dementia Thirteen? Oh yeah. 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 He's in a lot <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, he's in a lot of them. Yeah, he's like, Food, all right. Try the wine. Yeah, all Try that the stuff. Wine. Yeah, all that stuff. But it's so over the top. I mean, yeah. bananas. And yeah, that's what's weird about that movie is like the tone is all over the place. But yeah, with Barry, yeah, we just, you just, our thing I feel like is different where it's like, yeah, you just want to try to keep it in a real, something real. And like you said, that scene in the car is like you're writing a thing and you get to a scene and you go, well, what would he do? Well, this is what, right. this is what would happen. And everybody goes, uh, okay. And then to HBO's credit, I remember being at the table reading and reading that scene out and, and my heart sinking going, they're going to make us cut this. Yeah. No one's laughed. Like there was no laughs after that at the table reading. There was jokes afterwards. And I, and, and I just thought, well, there goes that, you know, and they went, well, and their notes were about something else. And I was getting Nancy. And then I finally just went, well, what do you think about the, the scene with Chris? You know, no, don't point them to it. Yeah, because I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't handle my stomach was in knots, and I just couldn't handle it. And they went, "Oh, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, you guys were great." And I was like, oh, you know, I just kind of came in all mad, and they were like, "What do you? Why well, they get you? it? Yeah, they get it because they they like story. They're the only people giving me notes that say it'd be great if this is a little bit more subtle." I've never gotten a note like that before in my on life <laughs> on TV, no yeah. less. It'd be great if this is a little bit more subtle. Um, but yeah, man, Pat- Patrick McGee is great. I like him a lot of stuff. 
He's yeah. uh, he's great in uh, in Barry Lyndon too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the little just an odd presence. And Mask of the Red Death, he's also great. Yeah. And Mask of the Red Death is amazing. Yeah. I love that. I'm I'm going to actually talk to forget who it is, but I'm doing some other thing where they asked me to talk about because I did Vincent Price on SNL. They want me to talk about the Poe movies. Uh-huh. And uh, that, I think that and Tomb of Ligia. Yeah, they're my favorites. Yeah, Tomb of Ligia is great. His, oh, his costume in Tomb of You know Richard Ligia. Chamberlain was supposed to play that part? What? Robert Town wrote it for Richard Chamberlain. What? What? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. How did it become a Vincent Price movie? It was AIP. And they said, oh. we're making it in England and we got the money over there. And it's a Vincent works for us and he's playing it. Wow. Because you know, the part is actually written for somebody younger. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, his wife and yeah. But it's a it's a really cool movie. I love that movie. It's um I and I have to bring up since we're dancing around Corman. Um, uh, one of the uh, this isn't really going anywhere, but I just want to brag to the audience that I got to see this thing. Um, th- there was a reading a couple of years ago. Joe has an amazing script uh, <laughs> called Man with Kaleidoscope <laughs> Eyes, which is about Roger Corman's experience making the trip. Um, and the um, uh, you did a stage reading of it at the, um, the Vista. Vista Theater. And it was a it was a wonderful cast. And the, the whole thing with the story is that Peter Fonda wanted Corman to direct it. and uh, But the condition was Corman had to do acid, which he had never done. And the movie sort of tells that story in the making of the film. And it ends, you get to the point in the film where in a biopic where you'd scroll, the legend would scroll by and go, the movie went on to make a million dollars, blah, 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 blah. But instead of doing that, they have this lovely little conceit where young Roger has an acid flashback and Roger Corman today steps out on a tennis court and explains how it went and how the film ended up changing cinematic history by paving the way for easy ride. <laughs> and um, uh, Bill, Bill Hader was young Roger Corman. Yeah. And it was yeah. one of the most. Uh, it Bill was Hader is Roger. Is Roger Corman. <laughs> It was not only, it was an amazing performance in and front an amazing of impression. In well, I'm, I'm okay. You fucking <laughs> directors always rewrite you. But the climax <laughs> of the thing, Roger himself comes out and watching the dueling Cormans with, with you and the actual Corman is, that was such a movie lover's wet dream. Oh me. yeah. That was Everyone terrifying. Was I went just looking down and cause I did not fully, I didn't read the email that he was going to I didn't read the email completely. Wait, you didn't know. So I got there and Joe's like, oh yeah, you know, Roger's going to love this. And I was like, oh, you, in my head, I'm like, oh, they're going to send him a tape or something? I'm like, no, he's, and I saw Julie come around. Oh my God, he's here. And I was like, because I didn't have an impression. I was in the car on my phone watching him give an interview. Um, uh, oh gosh, 1980 or something. And I just kind of was watching that in the car and I was like, okay, I think I can, okay, uh, let me try this. And, um, uh, but it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I mean, I had a blast and then getting to do it. Yeah. And then getting to do it for him and then was, and then with him (laughs) and then sitting there going, I had a, Tomb of Ligia poster up in my room when I was 15 and there's Roger Corman. This is, this is insane. <laughs> you know, and he was so sweet. But afterwards. you really, you really captured him. Yeah. Particularly the, the, uh, the stillness and this, the, the sort of serenity that he manages to go through life uh, with um, was, it was just, it was, it was just so funny because he, because at heart he's kind of innocent. 
Yeah. And in the movie, he's obviously, you know, doesn't know anything about this drug stuff. And he has to get all of his friends to tell him what, you know, get Jack Nicholson to get him some, 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 some drugs and stuff that he doesn't usually do. And, um, it's, it was, it was a, it was a wonderful reading. I mean, oh man! It was, it was and, it, and it got us, it got us a company. No, yeah, it wow. got us a, a sponsor, and oh, who great. was, and we're still, we haven't given up. We're still, oh, that's great, we're man. Still no, I, 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 that was a huge, uh, that was huge. I mean, my friend, my best friend Duffy Boudreau, who writes on a Barry, and he worked on documentary now with me, and we grew up together. He came to the reading and just after the ride back was like can you believe that you just did that <laughs> joe dante and roger corman and like all these you know and uh i think peter bogdanovich was there yeah, yeah, he, was there. he was there um jonathan i can't remember who jonathan, played him jonathan demi uh was 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 still alive and then uh julia sent me an email that he had sent and and everything and i just went this is insane yeah that was so cool I had a blast, man. I had to. I had a it was. It was blast. Right. I said to Joe before. I was like, did, did just just now. I was like, did anybody videotape that? He's like, if they had, it would have been on YouTube for years. Yeah, God yeah. Damn it. But no. Uh, no, that was just fantastic. But I wanted there. There were a couple others I wanted to add because you you also mentioned um, uh, completely very away from Corman, um, one that I I love and I was just interested in in having you draw the connections. You you mentioned uh, Curse How a Stray Dog. Oh yeah. Which is one of those great. I, I love his early crime movies. Yeah, he did an Ed McBain book for yeah. God's sake with uh, uh, King's Ransom. High and low. Yeah, oh, high and low. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a. Well, if you've seen season one of Barry, you'll know I'm a massive fan of Kurosawa because we had a joke in it where the, the, the um, police chief is describing he's giving a big press conference and he's describing how these two, they, the, his theory of how these two rival, um, this one guy pitted these oh, two rival yeah, yeah. people against uh, rival gangs against each other. And he says, much like the, um, Kurosawa movie, Yojimbo. Uh, <laughs> and then he says, uh, and then he says, uh, cause I'll take questions now. And, <laughs> and the first reporter says, how do you spell YouTube? <laughs> yeah. He goes, well, I think it's just how it sounds. Uh, yo, Y O uh, J J M M B O. Uh, next question. It's like, was that the only film he made? Oh God, no, no, no. He made a lot of movies and they don't care at all about the crime. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all these questions about Kurosawa and you hear it going on in the background of a, of a, of a bar, uh, Alec Berg wrote all that. My favorite line was, they say, where can we get these movies? And he goes, I don't uh, have that information in front of me, <laughs> but I, uh, I think uh, you, know, you can stream them now. There's various streaming platforms that I'm sure have it. And of course, video stores and, uh, and uh, just very official, but he knows everything about Kurosawa. But uh, I think I like Stray Dog. Um, it's the economy of the storytelling in it. The first line of that movie is, I lost my gun. Lost my gun. I lost my gun. Yeah. And then you go, oh, gosh, now you're in. And just how each scene, you know, there's a thing we kind of beat it to death in the writer's room is, is each scene needs to be causal. You know, each scene kind of leads to the next scene. and or, or something's happened in a scene that now has changed things. So just it's basically things need to happen. And um, each scene of that is just it's this precision in the writing of like just but then at the end, you get to this kind of showdown, and it is almost like heat 
the movie Heat before Heat of the cop and the oh, so, and the yeah. guy being on the chasing his, after each other, the, being the, the same person, and then he does this beautiful thing after this fight of this procession of children coming by, and you hear these kids off screen and yeah. this procession of children going by, and you just go, it, it elevates what could have been just this kind of crime, yeah. just a pot boiler thing to this other level of, um, uh, you know, um, you know, it made sense how much he liked Russian literature and all that stuff. You know, he, that's why I always liked it, just the emotion of it, you know, and the kind of big ideas behind it and just trying to get to this finite truth of, a, of a, about two people and having weird empathy for both people which I was surprised by with the movie. So that, that was definitely one in watching it that I just, I really um, loved. Another one, for some reason, I don't know why, and it's not Kurosawa, is um, Asphalt Jungle. Yeah. You know, Sterling Hayden at the end of Asphalt Jungle with the horses and yeah. all that, where you kind of go, you see him a little differently, and you go, wow, this is... Or the way the, um, help me, great actor who's who likes, the, he's the kind of pervert guy who gets caught when he makes a little girl. He, he pops the ju- the money with jukebox and uh and asphalt jungle. Um oh my God. Lewis Calhern? Have we stumped you up Dante? Well I, this is not a particularly resonant explanation of who this character was. Asphalt asphalt jungle <laughs> the guy in the jukebox. The guy the, um it's the it's at the end of the movie he's one of the conspirators in the Sam movie. Jaffe? Is that Sam Jaffe? I think you're right. Sam uh, Jaffe. Yes, Sam Jaffe. Um, when they uh, so when they capture Sam Jaffe at the end of that movie, it's not some big shootout or whatever. It's his own moral right. falling. Yeah, right. You know yeah. those things. I just I love. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that 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 comes through uh, on the show. Which I'm just I am. It's not it's not the writing show, and I shouldn't take advantage of it too much. But by you you know what you just said about the how every sequence every scene has to have consequence and lead to the next. I think one of the things I love about Barry is that not only does every scene cause the next one, but I find very often um, you come towards the end of a scene and you've created a scenario that's so unthinkable. I go like, how the fuck are they going to get out of this? Yeah. You, you take characters to places that don't, they can't easily come back from by the next yeah. episode, which is fascinating well, to yeah. Well, we always try to make it where you sometimes, you know, it's like you you start from the ending of a thing and you kind of work backwards and yeah. you kind of say, oh, it'd be more interesting if we know we want this to happen. So let's hide it by creating these things that we know isn't going to really matter, but still makes sense, you mm-hmm. know. So you think it's going to go there and then you take a big left turn or whatever. But I will say at the end of season two, I mean, Alec and I just had dinner last week and i go so what do you think happens <laughs> and he goes man i don't know <laughs> we really kind of wrote ourselves into a corner here so well, did you know at the end of season one because I, I have never felt like a show was done in the best way possible oh everybody so, said that i remember new york yeah, times it's, uh, oh, uh, yeah henry winkler <laughs> that made his head explode when henry read that <laughs> Henry just was like, they just, the New York Times said that we shouldn't do another second season. <laughs> and I was like, well, tough shit. We're doing a second season. I, I like money. Do you like money? No. <laughs> uh, no, but. Uh, I just feel like that was a much bigger hole. It felt like for as a viewer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, how's he going to get, you know, yeah. they're up at this thing. And then what I thought was cool when we went into writing the second season, it was the first thing I said, well, what does everybody think happened to Moss? And um, and Liz Sarnoff 
a writer. She's so good at kind of going, why are you start? Because I initially had season, I, I always start every season by, I kind of go into an office by myself for a month and I write out basically like a big outline, an arc for the season. It's pretty detailed. And then I let the room kind of just demolish it, you know, and, and it's just this idea of you just want to be wrong fast. You're going to be wrong, but let's just try to get be wrong as fast as possible. And so write it all out and then I'll be like, what do you think? And I had it starting in the cabin, you know, with, with uh, Kusno waking up mm. going, you know, Janice, you know, where are you and everything? And she went, who cares about that? You know, I want to start it off with a big, like who started off with a group of people we don't know. And I had this idea of, of Fuchs having another Barry. So she, and then so she pitched, it should be, Fuchs's new Barry going on a thing and it going wrong and that's how they get his DNA and all that shit. Like, let's just, you know, cut right. through the crap and and that's that's where it's it's good with a writer's room to you have people telling you where you fuck up a lot. <laughs> going, why would you do that? Don't you want to do this? And going back to Stray Dog, that's what um Red Kurosawa, they would have, I forget the guy's name, but it was he would write with five guys. And then he had a, a one guy who was this older writer who wouldn't say anything. He would just kind of sit there and they would all write and write and they would hand their pages to him and he would read it and kind of go, yeah, you know, this, whatever. And then he, and I might get this wrong, but he basically said the ending of act one was him losing his gun. Right. And this guy said, you should make that the, be the first line of the movie. Yeah. Because now shit's happening. Everything was set up up to him losing his gun and we'll and let's find it's the screenwriting 101 but this is in the 40s in japan is like yeah let's find out about him on the run as opposed to like this this boring setup right. and it was like oh okay apparently he's also the guy who said the, the guy in akiru should just die in the middle of the movie he was like just have him die now and then we'll see how the people. Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's cool. This, I, I want one of those yeah, guys. I want a friend like that. Holy <laughs> Just a guy is over in the corner going like, he should die in the middle of the movie. And then they go, what? <laughs> they go, yeah, no, it makes sense. You know, again, I, you know, this is, I read his autobiography and this is how I remember it, but I could be wrong. But I, it was, it, this guy apparently was just the, you know, the screen, the screenwriting guru, which I love stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It kind of leads. Do you have time? Can we talk about? Yeah, one no, movie? please. Oh, let's okay. talk. I, I was yeah, a little late. I can talk. I, oh, yeah, I'm good. Right, hey, I'm good. Because oh, because I it, it made me think of a another movie on your list in terms of um, kind of surprises in terms of the way people you think are the central character are treated. Uh, you talked about No Country for Old Men. Oh yeah, which um, I just any excuse to talk about No Country for. I love that movie. But, I was knocked out by that movie. Um, I'm, I'm thinking Josh Brolin's exit from the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was in the book too. I read the yeah. book and that idea too about, you know, in the way they shot that too, where they don't do a lot of handheld stuff, but it was handheld and they just, Tommy Lee Jones and he just passes him. He's just dead. And I remember 
I almost thought, well, that wait, that wasn't him. That's yeah, not him on the ground. Oh, somebody else got killed. Yeah. There's no way that that happened. Yeah. And that the idea that to me that was the point of the movie is that we're setting up this thing that you've seen a lot of times as a movie. This, these guys on the run or whatever, but in reality, here's what happens: this guy gets murdered. Right. Everyone, the the wife gets murdered. Everybody yeah. fucking dies, and then uh, the end. And you're like, whoa, oh yeah, it's called No Country for Oh Right, right. It's like your values don't mean shit in yeah. this world, you know. And it's yes. like, yeah, the, um, yeah. And I love the end. The uh, you know, um, then I woke up. The 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 and the ticking clock and. Yeah. Uh, and I, the, I will say for Barry, the again, I watched that one with their DP. And another movie I had, I think, on the list was Mother. Yeah. By yeah. Um, Hong Su Hong. Hong Su Hong. Yeah. And uh, we would just count setups and go, look, oh, what they wow. did with four, four setups that, you know, obviously they could have cut shit out. But this look how much they made that work with uh, uh, David Cronenberg really is another guy. I watched The Brood a couple of times. Oh. And I was like, look at there. There's like. That's like two setups. And you got the whole thing. Or um, Carol Reed movies, you know. Uh, um, and uh, and so you're, you're always, it's always just with that movie, just the simplicity of the directing and, and the way they shot action in that movie. It was just, um, uh, you're always kind of from the point of view of the person being attacked. <laughs> and and uh and uh, no music again, which I really, I just, I just really like. I just like music coming in at the right time. And I always find in action sequences when there's a lot of music, it's kind of telling you what you're supposed to be feeling, or an emotional moment. It's telling you what you. But the absence of it, kind of, I for me, I lean in yeah. when that happens. And uh, no country does it brilliantly, I think. Um, yeah, I think that movie just really is there. I think that movie just is amazing. Yeah, no, I I, I love it. Um, Incredibly it's weird because it's not obviously not their original material, and I'm a gigantic fan of them as writers. But oh, I yeah. do find it's one like that. That I've probably seen that as many times as I've seen Miller's Crossing. Yeah, I mean they're phenomenal writers, and yeah. I I mean A Serious Man is another one of theirs oh, that I yeah. thought was really great. Um, did you the first time I loved it oh, did you? okay a lot of people watch their movies like that Big Lebowski whatever they go what you know I saw Serious Man and I just was like knocked out by it but yeah the two people I saw it with were like what the hell is that I, was, I, oh, saw, I with all of them even the ones I walk out of loving I like them better the second time and then yeah. the third time you I catch so many I hated Lebowski yeah I can't begin to tell you how much I was just I felt betrayed and ripped off and, and finally someone was like reminded me like you do say they have. I was like, not this one. Ah, this one's going to And then the yeah. second time I saw it, I was like, oh, because I had yeah. no idea what I was demanding things of the film that it was not interested Yeah, man. That's why. Once I, I knew that. Just like Blow Up. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> once I knew that, I was in heaven. Yeah. Wait, what about Blow Up? You didn't like Blow uh, Up? He didn't like Blow Up. It's, really? it's it's mm-hmm. one of those I, I try to be scrupulous about this stuff. I'm I my I, I know the difference between I didn't like it and it's bad. And I've I've always said blow out is just one of the, blow up is one of those movies that just What's uh, your over under movie? What's the movie you think's overrated movie you think's underrated? Um oh God. You could just pick this is the one around when I get around like film my film nerd friends will just or we're in the edit bay and we're waiting for something to come back i'll just go overrated underrated and all the editors <laughs> we're all just gonna sit because they then people get into a massive 
Yeah, we're fight. Gonna fight. I, I, I'm saying because of doing this show, I finally watched uh, Blow Up Again and loved it finally. But um, Under. Well, there's I mean, a lot I, of underrated movies. There's a but, lot of underrated. We were just talking, and I wanted to bring it up. It's a good good excuse to as well, but just wondering if, and again, I don't know if it's underrated. I, I genuinely can't argue with anyone who hates this film, but have you seen The Counselor? Oh, the one with uh, McCarthy, Ridley Scott. Yeah, you know that. What that movie reminded me of was uh, "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia" for well, some reason. Good call. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of has like a yes. Alfredo Garcia. We were like, this is like a weird fever dream. Like if Ridley Scott had did, made yeah. Alfredo Garcia. That's how I kind of feel about it. It felt like a just off the wall '70s movie. Yeah. That. But I saw that in the theater and people, I, that's the last, that might be the last movie I saw in the theater where people walked out of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. People yeah. were not. I, I would, I would give like, that what my, the my fuck under, is this? For sure. I, I, I think it's a, an amazing film. I don't know. Over. Over I mean, is kind of over, hard. Guess, again, go, down, also, go down the list of best pictures over the well, years. Yeah, you, 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 kind of well, you, you kind of reminded <laughs> me by bringing up the brood. Cause I mean, I, I've had these the privilege of having the conversation with David on this several times, but um, uh, the brood is, um, I think the brood puts the other divorce movie that came out that year to shame. Oh, the uh, ordinary I people am, or Kramer, not, Kramer versus Kramer. I'm not a Kramer versus Kramer. Fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny cause I saw them around the same time and, and it took David pointing out that they're both divorce movies. Only his is honest for me. To yeah. Go, right. Oh fuck. Yeah. That's why I'm so yeah. I'll, I'll go, I'll go the counselor and Kramer versus Kramer. Joe, what are you, uh, what's your, what's your over under? Uh, <laughs> well, like I say, I mean, you can really go down like, the the best picture list in the academy yeah. and uh, and <laughs> i mean most of the movies that people remember today and really think of as classics are movies that seldom got close to the, the academy um and the ones that did have tended to date Man. to a point that you know i mean how many people sit through dances with wolves anymore yeah and always go like and that beat goodfellas or Best picture and best director. And just yeah. I mean, well, my favorite was the year that, what was it? It was, it was, um, uh, it was the year that Rocky won. Right. 76. Well, <laughs> no, no. The, the one I always think of is, is the year that, um, Ron and Brazil and, oh, um, uh, was, and Preachy's Honor. <laughs> you had these, these, you know, preachers that were all up for best picture and it was, yeah, out of Africa. Yeah. One, which I think I've seen part of on TV. So I guess I can't. <laughs> Does anybody, how many people, <laughs> How, what are the odds of driving by a repertory cinema anywhere in America right now when they're showing out of Africa? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I've never seen it. I've well, they'll run out of the New Beverly if they can get it in 35. Yeah. I've <laughs> never seen it. I've never seen that movie. It, yeah. Uh, it's like it's an illustrated too. John Barry score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I like John Barry, but. Oh, I knew what I. I like uh, Sidney Pollock's movies, though. I liked, uh, what was um, Three Days of Condor? Three Days of Condor's good. I'll yeah. tell you an underrated Sidney Pollock movie is Castle Keep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's really good. Do you like, do you like uh, They Shoot Horses? And things? I do. Yeah, they shoot I horses do. Do they shoot Just horses. watched it. Not a fan. I I, I, I kind of had a visceral, and I realize I have this every time I see you it. You don't like gig young out. movies. You what? You don't like gig young movies. I love gig young movies. <laughs> Alfredo Garcia. The, um, I, I just, I, I, I viscerally hated it. And I watched it back to back with uh, Day of the Locust, which viscerally. I oh, wow. loved, which what's are both it, what's incredibly viscer- depressing movies with animals viscer- in the title. What's to viscerally hate? To, to, to uh, that's true. Can you hate something without it being visceral? I don't know. Uh, I, I you don't like to, red button movies. 
he's there goes amazing. Poseidon Adventure. He's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about it that's, it feels. Are you, are you talking about the filmmaker or are you talking about the concept? Yeah, no, the, it just, it feels patronizing somehow. It feels, oh, I, I, I feel like I can see the rich people uh, pretending to empathize. Oh, I know with what you the, mean. With the poor folk in it somehow and, i guess i would you I know, know i read the the what's the guy horace mccoy wrote the mm -hmm. book i remember reading yeah. the story in some anthology of like great you know crime novels and so i think i always thought of it as like a crime story for right. some reason but yeah i could see that what's underrated for you almost everything yeah <laughs> do you have any movie that you love that people just constantly are like what how the hell did you like that? Well, I guess when you get into the Spider Baby kind of uh, yeah. movies, you know, then people yeah, those can, make sense. I like I love Vampire I'll, I'll Circus. Underrated movie was The President's Analyst. Oh yeah, no one uh, underrates President's Analyst. Well, it was pretty underrated when it came oh, the out. Okay, yeah. Well, that's that's the the, the crux of your question is you when you say yeah. underrated, what does yeah. that mean? Yes. Underrated at the uh, time yeah. or underrated now? Well, that's one of those yeah. movies. By the way, that and Spider Baby, I've shown to people countless times who just I've never had anybody not just love both of those. Yeah. I've shown people Vampire Circus and they've been like, Vampire what, Circus. Is pretty what good. the hell is this? And I'm like, I love oh, Vampire Circus. I don't know Vampire. It's Circus. very offbeat. Vampire Circus, going back to Clockwork Orange, the wife, Patrick McGee's wife, is yeah. in Vampire Circus. Adrian Corey. Adrian Corey. And what, what is who it? Who just passed away. Uh, it, it's a, uh, it's about uh, Count Mitterhouse, who is the um, the resident vampire in this, uh, what, Balkan yeah, village? Yeah, and, and there's the circus that comes to town. And David it, it's, it's, is it's in very, it? Charles Finney kind of it's it's the circus that comes to town, but it's a circus that's that's they have a lot of strange acts and, mm -hmm. because some of them are vampires and sure that and, would they, be and basically their their lot in life is to take all the kids from the village and yeah. to turn them into vampires and eat them. Vaguely, what year? Uh, 73, 73. Oh, right, okay, so it's later. Than I feel like it's gotta be the same casting Can director as Clockwork Orange because David Prowse is in it. Yeah, and she's in it. like there's a lot of people from. Yeah, no, they have. A I love that. I, love, I, love, I can't remember what it was when I first realized that that happened. Yeah, like watching some little trivial film and realizing it's ninety percent of the cast of you know whatever. Oh yeah, you see something. people all the time in those. Movies. Yeah, no, Vampire Circus is, is worth a look. I can find it. A look. Oh yeah, it's, it's worth. Very, okay. very you don't have it on sixteen that I can. I I did have it on sixteen, but it's so it's so it's so gettable on, on video. I, I would I always say a movie I always like comedy wise, but it's so hard to talk about. I guess Woody Allen nowadays without people getting like mad or whatever, but um. It's so hard for me. It's like Polanski, Woody Allen. I'm like, I totally get it. I understand. But I already but saw bad, the movie. Too bad they're great filmmakers. I, go, I already saw the movie, <laughs> you know? It's like, I already saw the thing. So it's like hard for me to disassociate. But um, uh, Love and Death, the Woody Allen yeah. movie, I just, that movie really makes me laugh. That's a movie um, John Mulaney and I talk about a lot. And it really makes us laugh. And there's a... Uh, I used to do a guy in Saturday Live called Stefan, who was like the Weekend Update guy. And there was a joke in it where um, John would write things in the cue cards to make me laugh. And one of the things was, I would say to Seth Myers, I go, hey, Seth, this is, I'm reading this for the first time. And it says, hey, Seth, do you know how they have Blackula, the Black Dracula? And he goes, yes. I go, well, they have a Jewish one. And he goes, what's his name? And he goes, Sydney Applebaum. <laughs> <laughs> and Sydney Applebaum is a name that's in Love and Love Death, and Death. <laughs> which made it was so directly to make me laugh where the guy goes, 
He's the, the the guy who's like the chancellor or whatever to, to Napoleon. He goes, history will mock my name. <laughs> Sidney Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, that's just what they're expecting. Like, he, yeah, he had the two Napoleons. The two Napoleons are yes. fighting each other in the yes. background. But uh, I absolutely love that movie. And then I think the overrated movie, and this is a very specific reason for me, is I was never a big fan of... Um, Fight Club, and I think the reason was is because I had uh, friends and uh, movie fans, friends who wanted to start Fight Club. Oh, <laughs> and I have friends who I would buy a DVD, and they would go, "You don't own that DVD. That DVD owns you, and all this shit." And I would go, "Oh, <laughs> fuck off, man! It's a movie. Will you fuck?" It, would be, it became like their ethos or whatever. So I that is a very specific thing. I have not watched a movie since. So many people love it. I might, but I just have a very personal, visceral thing. I like David <laughs> Fincher's, you know, Seven. I think Zodiac's a, a fucking masterpiece. I think that movie's great. But that movie, for some reason, uh, I can't. I can't go back. <laughs> I can't try to watch it without. Do you know? I don't know if you have that thing where it's oh. like either you have like a very personal thing that has might the movie might be great. But I just went, oh, God, if I have to. Or my dad saying you can never listen to Blackbird by the Beatles because so, having to sit and watch so many people try to play that on guitar <laughs> at parties <laughs> and just was like, I can't handle any time that song. He's like, I, I turned that off. <laughs> He's like, I can't handle that song. Cause That's, by the way, I have a thing like, and I, I can't imagine you're sure we're using it, but if you ever do play Hallelujah on I'm fucking out. And that, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, that's oh, the one yeah. for me. I can't do it. Even the Leonard Cohen original, I start getting. Yeah. But no, I I, um, I knew a guy who lived in a basement of a house on Wilton in Hollywood, and it was a dirt walls or somehow a very odd guy, looked a bit like a troll. And um, he was a friend of ours. He was the landlord of a, it's a long story, strange, disturbing guy, and passionately obsessed with a movie. And it was literally the only film he owned. This is what bothered me. I think it's fine if you own this movie, but if the only movie you own when you live in a dirt basement is Natural Born Killers. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it is alarming. That's alarming. <laughs> I think it's we have a problem here, alarming. guys. <laughs> It's I think we have a problem here, everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted just a small thing. I realized I was trying to think, what was the film I wanted to mention when you brought up uh, The Brood? And I was thinking Oliver Reed and. and uh, Oliver Reed is one of Stray my. Stray. Oh, God. Yeah, Oliver Reed and The Brood is one of the greatest performances. It's amazing in that film. But I. I yes, you, mommy. You've probably seen this film, <laughs> but if you have, haven't. Because one of the things I like about Stray Dog is it, it, you watch it and then you realize that um, one of the interesting things about this film is having a gun in Japan is a big deal. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a much bigger deal in the film than it would be in, in an American film. And it just taps into there's a there's a wonderful Elvary film from late sixties called uh, Sitting Target. Oh mm-hmm. no, I've never seen the, that. It's essentially I've I've also said it's the best of it's 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 like a Richard Stark Parker novel, except it's not oh, the cool. best one ever made. And it's Oliver Reed and he's uh gotten out of prison and he's looking for revenge and Ian McShane's in it. Oh my god. But the kind of the gag is He's got a gun yeah. running around 60s London. And it's like, oh, my God, a gun. And the entire oh, film hinges hilarious. on the fact that having a gun is completely Boy, insane. how you get that gun? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a phenomenal. Oh, idea. you know what other movie I like, which is a horror movie that a lot of people, well, people like it. Edgar Wright loves his Deathline. Oh, yeah, Rami. Deathline is good. Deathline's yeah. great. That's another one that I feel like, like I watch it and I go, this is a really good movie. Yeah, it's yeah. like super, that's an incredibly well-made that's movie. That's underrated. Very underrated. Yes beautifully it's like a very beautifully made movie i think is deathline i like that one wait and you said oliver reed and maybe and you said richard oh 
Uh, do you like the outfit? Oh, God, Robert yeah. Duvall. Yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, I love. Oh, it. Yeah, that was another one. The outfit, those John Irving movies. My dad, that was those would be on late night television, like sure. that and Rolling Thunder. And- oh, Rolling Thunder is he's rolling. Okay, Joe, come on, you both of you guys. I've got two great directors here. Is he a good director, or is he just have a good eye for material? Because I, I find I never walk like I must have seen Rolling Thunder fifty times, and there's never a moment in it where I find myself marveling at anything except I'm just absorbed into the story, which of course is the glow. You see somebody you look at and go, I think he's a very solid director. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind solid of, yeah. a good, you know yeah. what? He could have tell people who we're talking about. What? John, John Irving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry, John, John, yes. John Irving was, but also like the scene in there's, there could have been some really gratuitous scenes in that movie, yeah. like with the um, hand and the yeah. garbage disposal and all that. And you could have seen it or you, and shootout and stuff, but I, I when I watch those movies, I always feel like he's really interested in the characters. Yeah. And then I think the the end shootout to me also it's it. Tommy Lee Jones is really good in that. Um, I'll get my stuff. I'll get oh yeah, I'll go get my gear. Is get like one gear. of the, the most <laughs> badass. Like every yeah. person in the theater starts cheering. Yep, I found the man who killed my wife and son. Pause. I'll go get my gear. And I was like, yeah, it yeah. goes nuts. And you're like, oh, Jesus. But it's all done. And like right right before that scene is that scene with them. They're just sitting around having dinner. And it, yeah, you can just fan. tell he just hates. Yeah. It's fan. about vets. And you know, he can't stand, you know, being home. And he just wants to be doing this more and, and all that. And uh, But um, I also feel like the end fight scene, though, the, the gunfight scene also, if you could tell it where you could tell. I feel like, and I could be a hundred percent wrong. They didn't have a lot of time. You know, those scenes where you go, Oh man, they're really leaning on this piece of coverage <laughs> in the edit where it's like, there's a hallway shot and you're like, Oh man, they're just trying to like, that's the spine of the whole thing. And they're just going like, we don't, I just, when I watch that end scene, I really love it. I think yeah. it's great, but you could tell just the budget constraints or time or whatever. I now know, having done this, I'm like, oh man, they're really leaning on that. You find you watch shot. movies differently now that you actually. Oh my gosh, hundred yeah. percent. Where you go, oh, they only have one. They only had that one shot. Yeah. Or they only had this, or they slowed that down because they possibly didn't get a. Now, do, close does up. that make you more analytical when you want? Or can you still just sort of sit back and enjoy something without I, having to feel? Yeah, that you have to it's like it? it's both. You know, like I'll watch something like cranes are flying like that Russian movie. And I go, I don't know how they got these shots in 1957. This is unreal. Now that I know, or like a Max Ophel's movie. Mm -hmm. And I go, I don't know how they did this in this, at that time, these cameras are massive. How did they get those shots? You know? So I have that because of the knowledge. Um, But then the flip side too, where you just go like, come on guys. (laughs) That's like, or oh man they must have been in trouble you know it's it's like this thing's not working and they're you'll see where they flip shots around mm-hmm. to blow them up blow them up yeah. and and um and uh and and you it's now you can just spot those now especially now with digital you can blow things up and it doesn't you, yeah, you when, uh, poor Sam Fuller didn't have that. No, Sam oh, Fuller did not have so, that. <laughs> so many blowups. Yeah, Sam Fuller. So, Sam didn't get enough coverage. No, that's what. <laughs> I, the first time I noticed blowups were in um, Mel Brooks movies. When I was watching Young Frankenstein oh, as a just, kid, and he would have yeah, but or our optical zooms into things where it'd be right. Gene Wilder's eyes, and then it would kind of. I go, why is that? 
So different. Grainy. Why yeah. We or yeah, grainy and it's too smooth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not an operator behind it or something. Well, or, problem too is as a kid growing up. That's what kids. Kid, that's what kids. Yeah, do. I know. I'm like <laughs> redundant statement. As a child, I would watch movies on TV where they're all paying and scanning and early. Oh yeah. Sort of figured that out. So I wouldn't even know watching movies if was this something in the original film or in in my mind at a certain age if you saw one of those artificial blow ups. It, it was because there were boobs in the scene and they were yeah fighting. yeah that yeah. must have been what's going on so or you every see, time like, i those, see one of those i think of or you watch those like blake yeah. edwards movies that were shot like the comedies are you know you're shooting really wide screen like uh 10 or or any of the pink panther movies or there's one um what'd you do in the war daddy is one yeah. movie and there's a shot in that i remember where these two cars ram into each other and i would tell alec there's a shot in ronnie lily where i'm like this is the blake edwards shot where he's running at him to kick me in the in the supermarket, but he misses. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very the pan reveals the thing. Blake Edwards would do that shit all the time. But in that pan and scan format, it was yeah, two yeah. shots. Right. And it yeah. never it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> and then I saw it widescreen and I went, ah, he's a good director. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. how good of a director he was until I saw the stuff at the aspect ratio that it needed to be at. Before yeah. that, well, I that's just went, one, that's, oh. another, that's another thing in which we're lucky now in, in, our, in our era yeah. that you can actually see these pictures that have been, you know, panned and scanned for, you know, 25, 35 years. Oh, yeah. Now you can see them the way they really look. I know. I watched, because I had two sisters, I, had, I watched Grease a lot growing up because my Sorry. sisters always wanted to watch Grease. And, um, and uh, I just did my I have daughters and they want to watch Grease. And I will say, I'd seen it widescreen. I had seen it so many times, pan and scan, I've seen it widescreen. I was like, oh, there's like these, these are really well choreographed dance numbers. There's like all these, <laughs> like he really filled the frame and there's like great stuff going on here, especially at the end. But I didn't see any of that with right. the, the, the other version of it. But I, yeah, I, um, but, yeah, I don't know. I forget what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking too long. He's, uh, losing, he's yes. losing it. He's losing it. No, interest. I'm not losing it. Um, uh, yeah, I remember seeing something where it was just two characters talking with a tree in the distance and, and seeing it on TV and all you saw was the tree. Was, yeah, two noses. Yeah. At an early age, figuring out they're not showing you. Wait, what was Piranha shot in? Regular. That was shot regular. I remember watching Piranha. My grandparents had a lake house. I was at Grand Lake. And the video store, which was in a Reese's, was in a grocery store, and they had videos in the back. And they would always have the new releases or whatever. But I would immediately go over to the horror section, and I wore out their piranha because we were swimming. (laughs) And it was a great movie to watch. And Paul Bartel getting, I'd never wanted to get in uh, inner tubes. (laughs) <laughs> I'm being honest because I saw Piranha and I just when he get, yeah gets it I was just you know was, that movie's great I love that movie I also like the stop motion stuff in that movie. yes I know. yeah, yeah the, even well, hopefully that's the big takeaway from this episode is, uh, people it's, it's, people go see Piranha yes I love for the Piranha. stop motion oh no I love it did he do the <laughs> And you have Rob Bottin on that Rob Bottin, Phil, Phil Tibb is the guy who gets um, the under the, the diver who gets eaten by the piranhas, and then, really? and then the water skier skis past him, and it's yes. Phil Hank is sitting there, you know, in the water with his face sticking up and gore all over him. I love that movie. And on that man. note, oh, well, you, I mean, by the way, you know, there's a new Steelbook Blu-ray. There is a new Steelbook 4K Blu-ray, which I think just came out. 
Oh, dropped, God. as we say in the drop, dropped. Yes, a new steel K. Yeah, steel. I still, I'm, I'm, I'm. I wish I had it on VHS. <laughs> I could, I could. I'm sure. Yeah, I can give you one. No, I, I, I wish I had some to watch those. So cool, man. <laughs> Keep them in the bathroom. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's the Raina back is packaging. There's uh, some company I just saw has got a couple of films. Um, oh yes, the, the new the new gimmick is to package like like... DVDs in uh, packages that look like VHS. Oh, oh well, I got, well, yeah, my Mandy Blu-ray came in. A, uh, we never do a we never do an episode where he doesn't mention Mandy. Oh, I've seen Mandy. Are you? Oh, I saw Mandy. I thought it was cool. Oh, okay, I really uh, liked yeah, it. That, I mean, I've never only the best picture are you, ever. Are you made, on the, No, no, no. I, just, yeah. I think it was last year. One of last year's. Best I really film. liked it. I thought. Yeah. I I thought. I was like. I have no idea. What I'm watching right now, but I thought um, I thought uh, it looked amazing. Yeah, and and uh, it was really I thought it was really cool. My I had an editor who liked it, except he didn't like the the fight sequences, and that was this weird thing where he's like, "The movie's so beautiful, and the fight sequences goes into like this kind of traditional multicam coverage." Hmm. Like he had this thing, but right. and so I haven't gone back and watched it again since he. But what the fuck does he know? I'm going to name him <laughs> out so Manny fans can go kill him. No. <laughs> um, uh, well, Bill, it seems like a, you know we, we finally got to Mandy, which yep. is really, and, uh, and we plug Piranha. Yep. That's kind of it, Piranha. is basically we do the show and it's like, can we plug Piranha? Can we talk about Mandy? And I, and you, yeah, and talk I made the whole Polish list be films. about my show. So we're all, we all come <laughs> no, out great. Think, we all, we all, <laughs> we all came, we all came out good. We got what we wanted. <laughs> we all got what we wanted out of this fucking thing. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm serious. I mean, you guys, you guys know who Bill is and it said all the rest. But, but please, if you are among our listeners and you haven't seen Barry, um, you have the internet and there's two whole seasons of this thing waiting for you. It's a binge, uh, binge watch. Yeah. Oh, I hate, thanks, I hate pushing TV shows on our movie show, but my oh, God, man, it, is. it, it means a TV lot. show made by thanks, guys. film lovers. And I think it's the best thing on right now. So oh, thanks man. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. Thank you, and, man. Uh, yeah. You'll have to come back when the uh, yeah. third season comes out. Yeah. And it'd be like how we wrote ourselves out of a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Our show was recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank. The official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.